0: Welcome to Divine Truth Podcast with Dr. Stephen M. Huffman. Michael is the senior pastor with Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. The purpose of this podcast is to teach and edify God's people through a verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word. To learn more about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. And now, here's Pastor Michael Huffman. 1
1: Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter four, and uh, we want to we want to read we want to do what we did last week and kind of read a verse as a springboard to try to go into into the discussion at hand on holiness. What does what does God mean when He calls us to be holy? Kevin, how you doing, buddy? You looking well back there, sir? You doing all right? Good, good, good. What does God mean when He calls us to holiness? Some time ago. And it actually ha- it actually happens quite often. Uh, and maybe you fought thought it, and maybe you haven't asked anyone, but maybe you fought thought it. But some time ago, I had a, a teenager come up to me many, many years ago and said, Pastor, how do I know the will of God for my life? How do I know who I'm to marry? How do I, how do I know who I am to, what school I'm to go to, what job I'm to take, what house I'm to buy? How do I know? How do I know what the will of God is for my life. And I took that person through a series of verses in Scripture that plainly say, this is the will of God for you. And I'm not going to take you through all of those tonight. There's about five or six of them. And I'm not going to take you through all of those tonight, but suffice it to say that at the end of the conversation, we basically wrapped it up and said, if you will follow these five or six areas in your life that we know are the will of God for your life, then everything else will fall in line. You don't have to worry, if these five or six things in your life are true, you don't have to worry about making the wrong decision on those issues that are silent, who you should marry, what job you should take, because you'll so be so in tuned with the desire of God for your life that you're going to make the right decision. And one of those wills that we know is from God, that I went over with this person, It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 3, where the Apostle Paul says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And one of the things that we know as believers is without question the will of God is that we be holy, is that we be set apart, that we be different. From the world. We don't have to sit back and pray, you know, Lord, should I be sanctified? Should I do this? We know beyond any shadow of a doubt, because as the plain reading of the text, we know that the will of God, at least one of the wills of God for our life, is that we be holy. So if you've ever wondered or will wonder in the future, or will be asked in the future, how do I know what the will of God is for my life? Well, you know that it is the will of God that you be sanctified, that you be holy. We know that. And so what we're discussing here, folks, is we're discussing something that is the will of God for your life. We're not discussing something here that's optional. We're discussing something here that is a command. We know that it is the will of God for our life. And we began to talk last week about the conscience as a courtroom. And we saw that our conscience is the key player in our victory over the flesh. And if we lose the battle inside, we're going to lose the battle outside. Because the conscience acts like a court reporter. It gives in precise detail every single thing you do, right or wrong. The, the uh, conscience acts as a defender, a prosecutor, a judge. And so the conscience really is a courtroom but I want to pick up from that tonight. And I want you to keep in mind, too, a verse in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, what? Unto good works, or literally for good works. God's purpose in saving us, folks, was not to bring us to heaven. If that was God's sole purpose in our redemption, then He would have brought us to heaven when we got saved. That wasn't God's full intentions of sa- in saving us. God's full intentions in saving was, was us was to raise up a people unto His name and conform those people into His image. That's our purpose in being saved, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And Paul says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let's go to our second point, and as we want to go on from here. Let's talk, talk about the companion of the conscience. The companion of the conscience. The conscience, folks, is an essential device in the human being, and we need to understand the role it plays in our pursuit of holiness. The fact is that if we ignore this God-giving warning system, we are on the path to spiritual disaster. Paul said, I gave you this verse last week, I'll give it to you again. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. Paul says, those who have put away a good conscience have made, what? Shipwreck of their faith. I don't know if you've ever thought about pain as a good thing or not. Most of the time we don't. But pain tells us when something is wrong with the body. If you feel pain, something's wrong, and we don't think of that as a good thing, but pain really is a good thing, because pain alerts us to some kind of physical condition that really we would have otherwise have overlooked, but more than that, pain is a God-given mechanism that keeps us from destroying our bodies. All of us have heard of the dreaded disease from the Old Testament, leprosy. Today, leprosy is known as Hansen's disease. Now, years ago, it was assumed that leprosy ate away at a person's extremities, that it was some type of virus, some type of flesh-eating virus that ate away at the extremities. In other words, the disease itself destroyed the fingers, destroyed the toes destroyed the feet and destroyed the facial features of the victim but in the 1800s it was discovered that leprosy did not consume the body but what leprosy does is that it destroys the nerve endings and the sense of touch and so basically what happens is a person that had leprosy over a person that has Hansen's disease, they will literally wear off their extremities. Victims, quite literally, will erase themselves because they cannot feel pain because their nerve endings have been attacked by this disease. You put your hand on the stove, if you've got Hansen's disease, you put your hand on a a hot burner on the stove and you can't feel it. And you literally destroy your hand because all your nerve endings have been destroyed by this disease. And that's a pretty good example of the conscience. Because, church, the conscience is a warning system. And the warning system is put in place so that we do not destroy ourselves spiritually. It is literally, quite honestly, the inner voice that senses a moral violation Paul, the the apostle, put it this way in Romans chapter 2, verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are law unto themselves. Let me ask you a question. How in the world does a Gentile who does not have the law know to obey the things in the law? How is he able to do that? It's conscience. It's conscience. Let me say to you tonight you do not have to teach your children it's wrong to steal. They know from birth that it's wrong to steal because the law of God, thou shalt not steal, according to Paul here in Romans 2, is written on their hearts. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to go out and steal because they have to be taught the ramifications of of disobeying that law that's written on their hearts verse 15 Paul says which show the work of the law written in their web well, written in their hearts from birth Paul says the things contained in the law are written in the heart of every person born and their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another you see, folks, the conscious works in, in moral ta- works in tandem with our moral convictions to really compel us to do what is right and to try to restrain us from doing what is wrong. It's the ability to grant us that knowledge. To be self-aware, to contemplate thoughts, motives, intentions, and feelings. The conscience either indicts or it exonerates. The ancient Greeks thought of the, thought of the conscience this way. They, they made a god out of everything. And so the ancient Greeks made a god out of the conscience, and they call her the goddess. They, they named it Nemesis. Nemesis. And she served two purposes. First of all, she was the personification of reverence for moral law. And she would require people, they taught, to live lives at the highest moral value. But she was also an angel of vengeance. And at the end of the day, she would overtake people with full retribution for all their reckless transactions. And in the same way, folks, the conscience really has a bullying function in a person's life. I don't know about you, but sometimes the conscience can be absolutely relentless. You do something dumb, and you immediately, you say, boy, the Holy Spirit really convicted me. Yeah, the Holy Spirit convicted you through the the agency of your conscience. And it is a relentless and disturbing Enemy. Of the person that sins, but don't oh know hand, folks, this would be real. Can't we could also call our conscience our truest friend, can't we? It's that our conscience is our truest friend and the comforter of, our, of a holy heart. Paul says, in 1 Corinthians chapter two and verse eleven: For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Folks, listen, the conscience measures the state of your soul. However, it must be understood, church, that the conscience is not the infallible authority. Conscience is not the infallible authority. John MacArthur said, the conscience is not to be equated with the voice of God or even the moral law. Rather, it is a human faculty which adjudicates upon human action by the light of the highest possible moral standard a person receives. Okay? That's the key to your conscience. By the light of the highest possible moral standard a person perceives, As a person's nature has been affected by sin, the function of his conscience has been affected as well. Therefore, the conscience church is never to be equated with the as the ultimate judge of one's behavior. If our moral system, for example, has been informed in a certain way, then it is possible that the conscience might excuse what God does not. Make sense? Because people who are born, who are raised Moral, not saved, but moral. Their conscience has a bigger sting on them than those people that were raised either amoral, meaning there are no morals, good or bad, or immoral. Because the way that your conscience has been trained is the light of its highest perceived standard. If my standard is a base standard, because of my perception then that's where my conscience is going to be. And so if my conscience is, is, is at a lower level because of my perception, then my conscience might excuse things God doesn't, but we need to remember God is the ultimate judge. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me is a very small thing that I should... Be judged of you or of a man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. (laughs) We cannot reject the voice of conscience without doing some kind of harm. But we can modify the conscience, both good or bad, depending on the highest standard that we're taught. Think of it this way. Think of the conscience as a skylight rather than a lamp, Okay. The conscience doesn't have the ability, just like a skylight, the conscience doesn't have the ability to produce light. It merely allows the light to shine into the soul. Because what happens is that the conscience aligns and confirms to the highest moral standard that it perceives and then prompts the owner to live accordingly. Okay? The design of the conscience is to properly adjudicate your thoughts, motives, and behavior. But if you spend your life training your conscience... At a base level, then don't be surprised if your conscience informs you. At a base level, it just—it's just like that altimeter and, uh, um, and radar on an airplane. It requires the right information to work properly. Let's go to point number three we need to cultivate our conscience. So we know our conscience is a courtroom. It it adjudicates us. It condemns us. It exonerates us. It indicts us. And we know that our conscience is trainable, formable by the highest moral level that it perceives. That's why parents need to give their child high moral levels, don't they? Because as your children are growing up, you're forming in them the highest light that they perceive in their conscience. And if you allow your children to live by a low moral standard, then you're training that child's conscience at a low moral standard. And if you train that child's conscience at a low moral standard at the beginning of their life, it's going to be hard-pressed to raise it to a higher standard later in life. Because they've been trained so well at that lower level. And you and I do the same thing to ourselves, don't we? We constantly read the things we should not read, watch things we should not watch, listen to things we should not listen to. And all the while, we don't think that we're doing any harm to ourselves, but all the while, what are we doing? We're retraining our conscience, folks. You know why the Christian church has such a problem with living holy lives before the Lord? It's because we've done such a good job at retraining our conscience not to bother us with those type of things. Go away. Shut up, gringo, when we flip off the switch. We don't listen any longer. I went up to a couple of the boys in the academy last week and I said, I got an assignment for you. Let's do one week from Monday, Nick, Zach. And that is this. Of course, I gave him the first answer tonight. Find me in the Bible where it says that sanctification is the will of God for our life. Well, I just gave you that answer. Okay? So you've only got two questions to answer. Then after you, well, three. Then after you find out, find where that verse is, Then I want you to define what it means by sanctification. What does that mean? And then third, what does God expect you to do to reach that sanctification? Then fourth, and here's the killer. What are you doing to hinder that? Because sometimes I preach at them, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, teenagers, yeah, whatever you say, sure, 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 Mike, sure. But I want you to write down, I want you to look in your heart and I want you to write down what you're doing to hinder the sanctification that you just said God wants you to have. Tell me what you're doing. And then we're going to sit down privately and discuss it. Of course, the first the first question out of that mouth is, is this for a grade? I said, no, but if you don't do it, you're expelled. Huh? I did too say that. You just weren't listening. It's a good thing I said it publicly. Obviously, I wouldn't do that. But it, I, want them to be able to, I want them to look inside, right? All, we all need to do that. We need to look inside and, okay, I know what sanctification is. I, know what, I need to think about what God wants me to do and how God wants to build that in my life. And then I need to turn around and think, okay, what am I doing to hinder that? Is what I'm listening to hindering that? Is what I'm watching hindering that? Is the places I'm going hindering that? Are the books I'm reading hindering that? Are the things I'm watching on the internet hindering that? Things I'm watching on TV hindering that? Because I know that this is what God wants. Because what I'm trying to get the young people to do is to train their conscience at a high moral standard. Because when they're out on their own, if they've lived their teenage life uh, constantly yielding to the desires of the flesh, then when they get out on their own, it is that flesh that's going to inform their conscience. And then they're going to live anything but holy lives because their conscience has been informed by base level of the flesh. And as God's people, we need to cultivate our conscience. Everyone has a conscience. Even Pinocchio. See? Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. Every time I see a cricket, I step on him. I can't imagine him being my conscience. But anyway. Well, I don't believe in reincarnation, so I'm okay. Everybody has a conscience. But the fact is, Not everybody's conscience is the same. And life, and our conscience, as every other part of our life, is fallen. The Buddhist, for example, has his conscience fixed on the moral perception of Buddhism. Likewise, Mormonism, atheism, or or the agnostic And like I said before, we need to keep this in our mind that our consciousness, they are fixed on the the right moral standard that we perceive to be. The the moral standard of the Buddhist is going to be different than the moral standard of the Mormon. There's going to be a different moral standard than the evangelical Christian. And whether... they're Buddhist or Mormon or evangelical Christian, whatever it may be, the religious system forms that conscience or something that they've concocted on their own. Listen, there's a state of affairs in our life, could be, a state of affairs in our life where the conscience has been so corrupted by worldly influences that we believe that people believe lying is okay. In fact, there are some that have been so corrupted by moral perception that they think that there's something wrong if you're not lying. They have a defiled conscience in that area. It just makes a hair on the back of my neck stand up when I hear Christians talk about a little white lie. Well, I just told a little white lie. No, you told a lie. But the problem with you calling it a little white lie is that your conscience has informed you that it's okay to tell that little white lie because you've informed your conscience on the base level and you haven't built up that conscience to the highest moral standard so that you know that all, unt- uh, all dis- untruth is a lie. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Folks, listen, if our conscience, if our consciousness are going to function in the way that God designed them to function, we need to calibrate those consciousness to the highest, purest, truest moral law. Our consciousness need to be informed and conformed by the truth of the word of God. Go back to the illustration of the skylight, if you would. The usefulness of the conscience is determined by the amount of light that passes through it. A conscience that is fully informed or that is functioning properly, I'll say it that way, a conscience that is functioning properly is a conscience that has been fully informed by the Word of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? The word, you've all heard the old phrase, the word will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the word. And that's very, very true. David said, I hide your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Every day when we start school, our students pledge allegiance to the Bible. God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I will hide its word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Because that, that needs to inform our conscience. Listen, let me tell you something. If Dr. Spock is informing your conscience, you're in trouble. If anything other than the Word of God is informing your conscience, then we're in trouble. Our conscience needs to be fully informed by the Word of God. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 17, verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Plain words. Jesus says, I want my people to be holy by what? the Word of God, the Word of God, because, folks, listen, holiness comes in your life and in my life as a result of the Word of God informing the conscience and then the conscience informing the person. Make sense? The Word of God informs the conscience, and then the conscience informs you. So if we neglect the Word of God, what are we doing? We're neglecting our consciences, and then our consciences are not going to inform us by the highest, truest moral law, which is the Word of God. Your conscience will either either be informed by the Word of God, or if you neglect the Word of God, your conscience will be informed by everything that's going on around you. But listen, church, your conscience will be informed by something will either be informed by the Word of God or everything else that's going on around you, and if your conscience is being informed by everything that's going on around you, then your conscience is being informed by the lowest possible standard, and then that is what's going to inform you. So we need to keep our consciences functioning at maximum capability by keeping ourselves Fed by the Word of God. That's why it has always been my conviction that the Word of God is paramount here, and we don't waste time with drama and skits and emotional stories. Singing "Kumbaya, my Lord" or "Do Lord" or, or whatever you want to sing. But we spend our time focusing on the Word of God because "Kumbaya, my Lord" is not going to is not going to inform your conscience. A nice little skit that has an emotional little story behind it is not going to be what informs your conscience. The Word of God must inform your conscience. So what are the steps that we need to take to ensure that our consciences are, fo- are functioning at maximum capacity by being fed the proper information? Again, church, keep in mind, if you spend your life neglecting God's Word, we've already established the fact that it is God's Word that must inform your conscience Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So we've already established the fact that it is the word of God that has to do that, which is why the word of God is paramount here. Which is why when I stand in the pulpit, I don't tell you what it said in the Reader's Digest. I tell you, open your Bibles too. Because it's the word of God that needs to inform your conscience. And if we spend our life neglecting the word, then our consciences are being being informed by something else. And we need to change that to make sure that our consciences are functioning at maximum capacity so that it informs us correctly. How do we do that? First of all, we cleanse our conscience. We need to cleanse our conscience. You know, before we came to Christ, there was nothing we could do to cleanse our consciences. Nothing. Years of sin really dulls the sensitivity, and really hinders its cries, but the conscience continues to assume, uh, accumulate guilt. It's not being listened to, but it's still accumulating guilt. Folks, I believe that that's one of the primary reasons why our society is so dominated by drug and alcohol abuse. because it's a desperate plea for the sinner to silence the cries of a conscience that is burning burden, them because of a lifetime of sin. And the only way that I can make that voice go away is to inebriate it. And so I inebriate it either through drugs or alcohol because that's the only way I can get that pesky voice to go away. Because I have a lifetime of mounted on guilt and sin that my conscience is bothering me and so I've got to get that voice out. But that's also the reason why I think so many people look at religion and the, and the, and the, the, uh, that that are based on good works. Because it's an attempt to stifle the conscience. It's really, church, an attempt to even the scale. Because if I can make myself feel as if I've done my best by God, then I can feel like, at least in my mind, I've even the scale and maybe my guilt won't be quite so heavy. But church, listen, the only means by truly clearing the conscience is the justifying work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews explains that a cleansed conscience goes hand in hand with the assurance of salvation. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And folks, listen. Once the conscience has been cleansed by Christ at the moment of conversion, it is the believer's job to keep it clean. You can't ever have a clean conscience before Christ. Christ. But once you're in Christ, and He has cleansed your conscience, it's your job and my job to make sure it stays that way. So not only must we cleanse our conscience, but let it be, we must clear our conscience. Folks, listen, we've got to, we've got to guard our hearts. We've got to guard against the pretense of unchecked sin. And we need to keep short accounts with God through self-examination and faithfulness. And we must pay attention to the warning signs. Stop ignoring it when the, when the little voice inside your head tells you something is wrong. Stop ignoring it because if you keep ignoring it, the time, was gonna, the time is going to come where you're not going to hear it anymore because you have trained yourself that this is okay. This is okay. Okay. I can live here I can do this so stop bugging me and eventually it will eventually it will so how do we clean how do we keep how do we keep our conscience clear first of all we must we must confess our sins we must confess our sins first John 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, when your conscience has informed you that something in your life is wrong, something needs to be made right with God, make it right. Because listen, it's sort of like the bill collector. Right? Right? He's not going away just because you ignore him. The sin is not the sin doesn't automatically become not sin because you ignore it. When you're convicted, confess it, because Proverbs 2828:13 28, 28, says, "He that covereth his sin shall what? Not prosper." but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. The psalmist said in Psalm 32, verse 3, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roarings all the day long. For night, for day and night, thy right hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. And then he says in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. So how do we clear our conscience? By confessing our sins. We must confess our sins. But we not only must confess our sins, but we must confront. We must confront our sins. We must hack our sins. Agag to pieces. You remember that story? What Samuel did to King Agag of the Amalekites? Saul had too much pride and too much rebellion in his heart to do what God told him to do. So the prophet goes in, he takes a sword, and the Bible says he hacks Agag to pieces. I love it with I love it when you look in the Bible and you have the preacher with a sword in his hand. And that's what we must do with our sin. We must confront it. And not only must we confess our sins, but we must seek forgiveness and reconciliation from anyone we've wronged. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, we looked at this when we were going over the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remembrance that thy brother fought against thee, what should you do? leave the gift. Go be reconciled to your brother and then come back. That's part of confronting the sin. And all this is to help keep your conscience clear (coughs) so that it can be properly informed so that it can properly inform you. Number three, we must confess our sins, we must confront our sins, but we must consider our sins. Basically, it means this: Never overlook an indictment. Never overlook an indictment. If you are, conv- if you have a steady diet of the Word of God, and you are being convicted of something that you said, something that you did, some place that you went, or whatever it may be, you are being, you're being convicted of that. Don't write that off as guilt. Don't write that off as well. The devil's trying to get to me today. No, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to your conscience to speak to you about how you need to handle something. And so, when you feel that indictment, take care of the indictment, because if you don't, you're training your conscience at the lowest base level. And if you con- and if you train your conscience at the lowest base level, it's not going to inform you properly. Therefore, your holiness is going to go down the tubes book of Acts chapter 24 verse 16 for herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men folks listen do not do not put off addressing your sin and guilt don't assume that it will just go away over time you cannot procrastinate church when it comes to dealing with sin. You must take care of it because the longer sin is allowed to linger, the more of a possibility you'll have of spiritual cancer. Get rid of it. Hack a gag to pieces. Keeping your conscience clear means addressing the guilt and sin immediately and thoroughly and biblically as soon as you're aware of it. Because that's how your conscience is going to be informed. All right, we'll stop right there. Are there any questions? Does this make sense? I hope so. He's right there in the now. James.
0: Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the exposition of the Word of God was a spiritual blessing to you. Again, for more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on Facebook at EBC Mineral. Our Lord's Day services are 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. Sunday morning and 6.30 Sunday evening. We also have a Wednesday evening service at 6.30 30. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that God's divine truth would be proclaimed always from the cross, through the church, and to the world, until Christ's come. And now from all of us here at Emmanuel Baptist Church and divine truth, thank you so much for listening, and please stay tuned for further episodes. God bless you.